0: We are in the third of four themes of our storyline of Scripture. The first was creation. Last week was the fall. And now we are at the redemption that is in Christ. When God created the world, he said it was very good. And very shortly after God created the world, and called it very good, man sinned. And it's been devolving ever since. It only took three chapters until the main conflict of the Bible was revealed. That happened in my Bible. It happened on page 3 of page 12,065 this bible has 1,233 pages of how god is going to redeem the world through jesus christ now that's a lot of pages and there were a lot of days that passed between the day that adam and eve were expelled from eden and the day that jesus christ was nailed to the cross but throughout all of those days through god's word god promised redemption Redemption is a word that has lost a little bit of power these days. Usually when we hear of the word redemption, at least when I do, it's in a sports context. A player blows a game, and later on down the road, he has a shot to redeem himself. He has a shot at redemption. Or maybe if it's a guy trying to ask a girl out and he's a total jerk, he gets a shot to redeem himself. Redemption these days is you fixing that something that you yourself screwed up. But redemption is a word that actually comes from Latin. That means to buy back the Hebrew and Greek words used in the Bible for it, connote paying a ransom for someone or something. It's, it's a legal term, and it's usually used when someone pays a price to get back a piece of land or to buy back a slave. And now slavery is not exactly, in the Bible, known what, it, what we know it as in America in the 17 and 1800s. It wasn't necessarily based on race, but in ancient Israel, someone could sell himself into slavery when he owed a debt. He would work for someone to pay that debt off over a certain number of years. However, during that period of time that he sold himself into slavery, any blood relative could come along, pay the remainder of what he owed, and redeem that person from slavery. In ancient Rome, there was a similar practice where you could sell yourself into slavery to pay off a debt. However, they also did have a slave trade, a lot like what we know in pre-Civil War America. But still in ancient rome there was still a process where a slave would gain some wages as he worked and he had the ability to pay off his wage with that money he was able to redeem himself and that is the image of slavery that the biblical writers had when they were writing and that and this is the image they had in mind when god said that he would redeem them they were in slavery either to a foreign people or to sin but by by god's power and grace they would be freed either at that point in time or sometime in the future. And redemption is a theme that is interwoven throughout the Old and the New Testament, and that redemption is ultimately secured in Jesus Christ. And I want to look at the the idea of redemption in the Old Testament. The idea of God redeeming his people goes all the way back to Exodus. Israel, as a people, was subjected to slavery in Egypt for over 400 years, and this is what Moses writes in Exodus 6-7 when God promises to redeem Israel. This is the Lord speaking. "'I have heard the groaning of, my, of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, "'I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under, their, under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment.'" I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. When God does this, when the people of Israel pass through the Red Sea, in Exodus 15, Moses sings a song. He sings, you, Yahweh, have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. Moses goes on to sing that the surrounding countries would look at Israel in terror at the people that God purchased. He uses the word purchased but even with these mighty acts of God, the people soon forget what the Lord did for them, and they rebelled against the Lord. Effectively, they were saying, we want to go back to Egypt and be slaves, because Moses, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you brought us out to. We would rather go die in Egypt as slaves than go wherever you say the Lord is taking us. And the rest of the history of Israel is pretty much the same. There are some bright spots like Joshua, some of the judges, Samuel, King David, King Josiah, Ezra, Nehemiah. But usually, Israel wants to go back and sell themselves into slavery, either spiritually or physically. And God eventually does send them back into slavery to some extent. Through their rebellion, God exiles them. Foreign countries come, conquer them, and the people are exiled to Assyria and Babylon. But even though the people of the Lord are rebelling, and even though the nation of Israel is falling apart, God promises to redeem them through his prophets. The prophet Isaiah powerfully uses the language of the Lord as a redeemer. He says, Fear not, you worm of Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declare the Lord. Your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, Remember these things, O Jacob, and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Bring forth into singing, O mountains, O forest and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you in the womb. The prophet Jeremiah was ministering right when, the Isra- right when the last little bit of the kingdom of Israel was about to be defeated and exiled to Babylon. He's known as the weeping prophet. He wrote the book Lamentations because he was crying and weeping as Jerusalem was being burnt to the ground. But even him, in all of his depression and all of his anxiety, God still spoke a word of redemption. The Lord speaks through Israel, or through Jeremiah. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will, get, will gather him, and he will keep him as, shepherd, as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed, from his, has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. And perhaps the most clear and graphic image of redemption that we see in the Old Testament is the prophet Hosea. Just to show how much the people of Israel rebelled against the Lord, God commands the prophet Hosea to go and marry a prostitute. Because the Israelites committed spiritual adultery against the Lord, Hosea, as God's servant, was going to go marry a prostitute, and he marries a woman named Gomer. But eventually, Gomer decides to sell herself back into slavery, leave her husband, and go back to her prostitution. And this is in Hosea chapter 3. God tells Hosea to go back to his wife. And the Lord said to me, this is Hosea speaking, the Lord said to me, "'Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man "'and is an adulteress, "'even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, "'though they turn to other gods.'" And again, Hosea is speaking, "'So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver "'and an omer and a, lecith, or a lethic of barley. "'And I said to her, "'You must dwell as mine for many days.'" You shall not play the whore or belong to any other man, and so will I also be to you. Hosea just doesn't steal her away from her pimp, but he redeems her. He buys her back. The amount of the payment that Hosea paid would have been about the price of a, of a slave in those days. Hosea sought out his rebellious wife, paid a ransom for her, and in a way they renewed their marriage vows to be faithful to one another. And Hosea says that after the Israelites' time of rebellion is over, the Lord will redeem them. Hosea says the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the later days. But this redemption was not fulfilled in the Old Testament. It was alluded to, it was prophesied about, and bits and pieces were experienced. But the Old Testament was pointing to a much bigger holistic, all-encompassing redemption from sin. Because after all, slavery is not the biggest issue in the world, but it's sin. It's the fact that none of us have lived up to God's standard, but slavery in both a literal sense of a person owning and oppressing another person, and in a spiritual sense that we are all oppressed and bound to sin and death, slavery served as a very vivid image for our unrighteous state and our rebellion against God. And this is a slavery that we are all redeemed from in Jesus Christ. And this is Paul writing to the Romans. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And we just saw how the law and the prophets were bearing witness to our righteousness in Christ by faith. Paul is saying that the old Old Covenant and Old Testament ways of doing things, offering animal sacrifices to cover sin, has been done away with. This is because the Old Testament, Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, and the rest were all pointing to the redemption that we have in Christ. He is the Lamb of God that was sacrificed to take away the sins of the world. He is the Son of David that was sit on David's throne to reign forever. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us, born of a virgin. Every single word of the Old Testament points to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Paul's very next sentence is probably the most concise explanation of the gospel found in all of scripture. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And every single one of these little clauses is just so full and rich of the glory of the gospel, so I want to unpack them one by one. And let's start with the first clause, for there is no distinction. The context of this line is found throughout the, uh, the rest of the uh, letter to the Romans. Paul is basically explaining that the Jews and the Gentiles have some differences and some similarities between the two. The biggest difference is that the Jews had the law, they had the Old Testament, where God told them what was right and what was wrong. The Gentiles didn't have that. They had the law written on their hearts. They were moral beings who knew what was right and what was wrong on their own. But Paul is saying that there is no distinction whether they had the written law or the law in their heart. Everybody sinned. Everybody broke that law. There is no distinction to to be made between them. But likewise, there is no difference. Everybody is saved when they put their faith in Jesus Christ. So there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. But there is also no difference. Both Jew and Gentile are saved by grace through faith in Christ, apart from the Old Testament law. And I spoke about the second clause of this sentence, about how all have sinned in last week's sermon, so I'm not going to unpack it in depth. Um, But basically what we need to know about sin is that we all have inherited a sinful nature. Sin and rebellion are so ingrained within us that we can't help but sin and rebel against the Lord. Our sin leaves us guilty and unrighteous before the Lord, and we deserve his wrath and punishment for that sin. But through the person and work of Jesus Christ, we are justified. We are declared righteous, not guilty, in the eyes of the Lord. And we are redeemed. We have been bought back and brought back to God by the blood of Christ. Like I mentioned earlier, the the word redemption literally, literally means to buy back the Greek word that Paul uses is better translated as a redemption, deliverance, or liberation procured by the payment of a ransom. It's putting an emphasis on the ransom, and namely the ransom that Christ paid on the cross. Jesus Christ said it himself, he was not, the Son of Man did not come to to be served, but to serve, and to pay a ransom for many. Now, if Christ was going to pay this ransom, how would he accomplish this? How, how would it look like that Christ would be able to pay our ransom? If you think back to last week, when Adam and Eve sinned, the punishment that they deserved was death. Everybody after Adam and Eve also has sinned and also deserves death as their punishment. But Jesus Christ was able to pay that ransom through his death and resurrection on the cross. His, his death paid the price. But the only way that Christ was able to do this was if he was fully man and if he was completely sinless. He had to be a flesh and blood human being, but he had to be completely without sin. And here's why. If Christ was not a human being just like you and me, how could he pay the price that you and I as human beings owe for our sin? And also, if he wasn't a flesh and blood human being, how could he actually die on the cross? How could he bleed like us if he wasn't a man? And if Christ had sinned, how could he pay our debt? A person in debt cannot pay off someone else's debt. If you have $50,000 in credit card debt or student loans, you probably shouldn't be loaning $50,000 out to anyone else. You are in debt, so you can't pay off someone else's debt. But Christ was sinless. He did not deserve the punishment of death. So when he offered up his life as a sacrifice and he died, that death is able to be vicariously put in our death spot. It's a substitution. His death for our death. And that is what Paul is getting at when he says that God put forth Jesus as our propitiation. And that is a word that I have not seen outside of a gospel, seminary, theological context, and it really, it could help you, we could really use a better word for that. The NIV translates that word as a sacrifice for atonement. The dictionary definition of propitiation is an appeasing act, a placating act. When Paul, says that Jesus is, when, when Paul says that Jesus was put forth as a propitiation, he is saying that God was appeased, God was satisfied by Jesus' death. The wrath that we deserved was satisfied. It didn't just randomly go away, but it was satisfied by Christ's death. And that's because God doesn't really pardon us for crimes like, the, like, say, the president would. When a president issues out a pardon for someone in jail, the punishment just goes away. It vanishes in the thin air, and the debt to society that's owed just vanishes. But God does not work like that. The writer of Hebrews says, There is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. When God says there's a punishment, someone has to take that punishment. And when Jesus died on the cross, that debt, that punishment was paid. It was that he served our punishment. What God the Father required to satisfy his wrath, the Son paid. The price they owed for their sins flowed from the hands and feet of the Savior, and the wrath that they deserved was poured out on Christ by the Father on the cross when the Father turned his face away. And now, because of that propitiation, because of that sacrifice, was put forth by Christ and accepted by God, we now have peace with God. We no longer deserve his wrath. We no longer deserve to have a punishment put on us for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you remember how I defined sin last week, the author that I quoted defined sin as a culpable disturbance of shalom, the original peace that God made. Here, God is redeeming and buying back that original peace that he established in eden before the fall adam and eve lived in perfect relationship with god and with each other they had no fear of wrath there was nothing alienating them from god but in their sin they hid from god there was no more peace there was no more love that they felt but they had to hide from god in their sin and shame but Christ dealt with the culpability of the sin. He dealt with the punishment aspect of it. He took the guilt and the punishment that sin deserved. And now for all of us who believe in Jesus Christ, we now we no longer have to hide and sin and shame from the Lord. But we are clothed in God's righteousness where we can stand before the Lord and approach him as our Father. This redemption, this justification, Christ taking our sin and giving us his righteousness. This is not accomplished by any great work that we do. Christ gifts, G-I-F-T, he gives us as a gift his righteousness through putting our faith in him. And that's the main point of, of Paul's entire letter to the Romans. And Paul even argues that that's the entire story of the Bible. That's the entire point of the Bible. This is what the Bible says. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that all who believe in him shall not perish, but but inherit eternal life. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, you will be saved. We are saved by faith alone, we are justified by faith alone, and we are redeemed by faith alone. But we have been redeemed from sin and death, but what have we been redeemed to? When a slave is redeemed they become free they become a citizen of whatever country they live in it was a change in social status they were no longer regarded by the government as a slave they were no longer subject to their slave master but they were free to live in their country as a citizen with all the rights and responsibilities that come with that citizenship as believers who have been redeemed from bondage of sin and death we are now called saints children of god citizens of heaven and ambassadors of the kingdom, and we now have all the rights and responsibilities that come with that citizenship. We have been freed, but we are not free to do anything that we want or desire. We have been liberated from our old slave master, Satan, but now we're not left masterless. We now have a master in Jesus Christ. We are now under the lordship of Jesus Christ as our redeemer. If you have been redeemed, you must remember that you have been bought with a price. And listen to what Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 6. And this is verses 15 through 23. I don't know if you want to turn there since we're so close. This is Paul saying, What then? Are we to sin because we are no longer under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is saying that you were once a slave to sin. You sold yourself into slavery when you offered up your body, offered up your heart to serve sin as your master. But when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you when you are redeemed by his blood, you get a new master, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now you are to offer your, the members of your body and your heart in obedience to your new master and never think again about putting on the chains of your old master. You are a slave to God and a slave to righteousness. And when you do the work of your new master, you become more like him. You become more sanctified, more holy. You grow in love of God and love of neighbor. And of course, Paul even admits that he's using slavery here as an image. And especially when we think of slavery, it really does leave a bad taste in our mouth. And if you think about it, that's the bad t- that taste that people have in their mouth when they think about religion in general. They think that religion is a bunch of rules, a bunch of laws that ancient people put into place, that people who are out of touch perpetuate and want to enslave people too. But, and the thing is, Christianity really can become just nothing but a set of rules. That's called legalism and it knows nothing about the divine love and mercy of God that is found in Jesus Christ. But when you think of God's love for you in Christ, when you meditate on it, when you truly know it, the thought of God being a slave driver, vanish. The thought of him being a loving father, the thought of him being a shepherd who cares and loves his sheep and calls each one of them by name, the thoughts of a loving Lord, Savior, and Redeemer, those are the thoughts that ought to fill your head and fill your heart when you think of Jesus Christ buying you and being your Lord. Isaac Watts, he's a great hymn writer, puts it this way. I'm so glad we sung the song a couple weeks ago. He writes, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. All the vain things that charm me most I sacrifice them to his blood. Love so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, my life, and my all. When you are enveloped, when you are captured by the love of God, you will want to be a slave to righteousness and want to be a slave to God because you know that he is a master whose burden is easy and whose yoke is light. He loves you. He cares for you. And for the redeemed, we can joyfully submit to the lordship of our redeemer. We joyfully submit to the one who bought us with his very own blood, who took the wrath that we deserved, who gave us the righteousness that we could never earn, and the one who gives us the free gift of eternal life, by grace and through faith through him. And to him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you are the one and only redeemer of this world. This world cannot save itself. It cannot redeem itself because our debt is so unfathomably big. It's infinite. And we need you to come and pay the price for us. And Lord, we know that price is paid once and for all because Jesus Christ offered himself up once and now sits at the right hand of God to intercede for us. His blood pleads... For us. And he tells you that we are in him and that we are not guilty and that he took our sin and our shame. And Lord, we thank you for that. And we thank you that it takes nothing but our faith in him for us to be given that salvation and that redemption. Lord, we love you. And it's in your son's precious name that we pray. Amen.